Well, it is a joy to be able to pray for Katya Butte, and I really appreciate her heart and what she and David are doing in Ukraine. But let's uh, turn our attention. It's hard to believe we only have today and next week, and then we're done with 2 Timothy, and you all have stayed with it very faithfully. So when your life on this earth is over, what do you want to leave behind? And that's a question I really want you to ponder even after we finish 2 Timothy. What do you want your life to be about? One of my favorite devotional books is written by Lucinda Seacrest McDowell called Live These Words. And in this book, she makes the statement, when all is said and done, life will be reduced to a few words. And that's true. And she goes on to tell about a magazine editor who ran a six-word memoir contest. And the challenge of the contest was to describe or summarize your life in six words. Now, I shared about this uh, contest back when we studied Hebrews 11 and the life of Enoch. So some of you have already done this. You've written your six-word story. But for those of you who haven't, I wanted to introduce you to this. Um, I want to give you some examples of six-word stories that came out of that contest just to give you a variety of, of ways people did it. Uh, the first one is kind of, um, makes you kind of reflect and ponder. It's what I didn't expect changed me. And so you stop and you think, well, I wonder what happened and how did it change that person? The next one I love because it's just funny. Fat, thin, fat, thin, <laughs> fat, thin. I don't think I need to say one other thing about that. I love that one. And then there's one that also makes you kind of reflect on the person's life. Like old China, chipped but cherished. I love that one. And then this one, the next one is attributed to Ernest Hemingway, but it's not been proven uh, or confirmed that he wrote it, but it's been attributed to him. And this one tears at my heartstrings every time I see it. Uh, he says, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. That punches you, but you get a glimpse into that person's life. And then Lucinda, the author of this book, uh, she wrote hers. Hers was her, about her spiritual journey. And hers is tried hard, embrace grace, forever thankful. And she shares about how she spent so many years striving to be good and to earn salvation and then realized it was by grace. That's her story. And then mine, I'm still working on it. Um, but this is kind of where I've, I've landed so far. Single, loved, inadequate, empowered, embracing Jesus. Uh, it's not quite where I want it, but it's where I've done so far. So how would you write your six-word story? And that's something I'm going to ask you to do after you leave here, uh, that you would sit and spend some time pondering that. You know, we've had a lot of funerals lately here at First Evan, uh, or even in the city. We've had a lot of funerals. And the thing that stands out to me as I'm sitting in each of these memorial services is what is being said about the person whose life we're celebrating. And it convicts me and it makes me sit there and ponder, 
God, what am I doing with my life? How am I living my life for you? What difference am I making with my life? And that's something I think it's good for us to ponder. And so when you take your last breath on this earth, what are you going to leave behind? What kind of legacy are you going to leave? And I pray that it would be a legacy of eternal significance. And I shared with you on week one what that looks like. And I, I, I want to review it because that's been seven weeks ago and you've probably forgotten it. And so as we're at the end of the study, I want to review what does a legacy of eternal significance look like? You know, first, it's an investment in people, not things. You want to be investing your life in, in the lives of people because they will last forever. They will live forever. Second, it's about God, not about ourselves. It's not about us. It is about not making a name for ourselves, but how do we honor him and glorify his name? And then third, it's about eternal fruit, not temporary pleasures, but fruit that will last for eternity. So how do we leave a legacy of eternal significance? We've been looking at that all semester. But today, I want to look at Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. And we can learn from his words in this section, how do I leave a legacy of eternal significance? And as I read these verses, these first eight verses uh, of chapter 4, the word that keeps coming to mind is the word commitment. Paul was committed. And we need to be committed, but we've got to be committed to the right things, not the wrong things. And so as we look at these eight verses in chapter 4, I want to point out three things that we need to be committed to if we're going to leave a legacy of eternal significance. And the first one, and a lot of this is review from what Paul has already said, but he's kind of tying it together at the end of this letter. But the first thing we need to be committed to is sharing God's word. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 2, and I put it up there for you to follow along. But he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And I'm going to stop there because, you know, he is wanting to remind Timothy. Timothy, one day you're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before Jesus. And you're going to give an account for how you've lived your life and how you've invested it. So this is serious, Timothy, what I'm getting ready to tell you. And then verse 2, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You know, he was writing to Timothy. And you may say, well, you know, he tells him in verse 2, he says, preach the word. And so you may say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, he was talking to Timothy. That was Timothy's gift. So I can skip over that. No, we can't. Because all of God's word is applicable to us. There is a broader application. How does this apply to us? Well, one way is that, you know, well, Timothy obviously was called to preach the word, to be a preacher. 
And you may say, I'm not called to preach. I'm a woman. I'm not going to stand in front of a church and preach. And we may not be called to do that, but we are called to speak God's word, to share God's word. The Greek here is proclaim or herald. We all have a responsibility to teach, to speak, not to teach necessarily, but to speak and to share the word of God. And that may look different for every one of us. Uh, You know, you may not be called to stand up in front of a group of women and teach the word, but you may teach the word or share the word, facilitating a small group, a Bible study, talking about the word with one another. Or it may be even more informal in your home, across the breakfast table with a cup of coffee or at a coffee shop or a restaurant, sharing the word of God with somebody. And it may be they're sharing something in their life and they're struggling. And you say, you know, Let's see what God's word says about that. Let's, uh, or can I share with you what God is teaching me? And so you, you share God's word. That is very important. That is critical for us to be always available. Uh, it may be your children and you parents, you moms have a great opportunity to share God's word with your children Uh, One of my favorite memories is sitting in my daddy's lap as a little girl. He would come home from work. Uh, We'd have, we called it supper, and we would have supper. And then he would go sit in his chair in the living room and pick up his big black Bible, and I would crawl up into his lap. And the one story that I still remember to this day is the story of Job. And I would sit in his lap and he would read. And I remember looking up at him and going, Daddy, why did God do that to Job? Would he do that to me? Well, did Job do something wrong? And we had this great discussion. Don't minimize that. That time is so critical as a young mom to be able to just share Bible stories and ask questions. And then Paul goes on and he gives us specific instructions concerning sharing God's word. He talks about when and he says, be ready in season and out of season. In season are those times that come naturally or that are scheduled that you're planning on it. Like we have Bible study. I know that I'm going to be teaching on Tuesday mornings. But also he says out of season in those times that may not be convenient. In those times that you were not planning for. In those times that that person's not going to be responsive. But we need to be ready to share when opportunities, we need to be available to share when opportunities come up. I mean, yesterday I I got an email from a dear friend who uh, just shared, and not, she doesn't live here, she's an author friend, and just said, I've been diagnosed with cancer and I just need prayer. And I just thought, Lord, how can I encourage her from your word? And I just sent, I emailed and I shared some things, but I, I said, this is the verse I go to when I'm struggling with what's going on. We just need to be ready 
to encourage people. And that's where he goes on next. And he, he talks about how do we use God's word? How, how can we use God's word? And he gives us those three instructions to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with great patience and instruction. And you may say, well, those three words are very similar. So it's really the same thing. And they're similar, but they're different. Uh, reprove means to expose sin. You're pointing it out. You know, even when doing so might offend somebody that we love. But we point out the sin. And then rebuke is similar, but it goes a little bit further where you're exposing the sin, but you're urging them to stop. <laughs> Don't keep going down that road. I, I beg you not to. Turn away. And then exhort is the positive side of all this. This is where you are using God's word to encourage, to spur on, to build up other believers. You can do this. I know this is going to be hard. I know you're in a hard season, but I'm there for you. And God, God is there for you. Let's, let's just move through this together. That's where you're exhorting them. You're spurring them to go on. And he says, do these things with great patience and instruction. Yes, expose sin. Yes, call them to turn away. But don't do it in a manner that you're beating them over the head like, why can't you get this right? Why, why don't you understand this? You are such a sinner. What am I going to do with you? That's not how you do it. You do it with great patience and instruction, helping them walk through it. Don't tear them down. You know, I've shared a lot with you this year about uh, my discipler at college, Bonnie. That's exactly what Bonnie did with me at LSU. She took out the word of God and turned to 1 Corinthians 3 and shared about the carnal man. And I went, that's me. Those characteristics describe me. She reproved me. And then she, she rebuked me and said, this is not what God wants for your life. I am asking you to step off that throne, stop controlling your life, and give it to him. And then she exhorted me. I mean, she was like, I know it's going to be hard, but I'm there for you, and I'm going to walk you through this, and I will be there. And she was, and she discipled me. She exhorted me, came alongside, spurred me on. And I would not probably be here today doing what I'm doing had Bonnie not used the Word of God to teach me and to exhort me. Uh, I'm excited I will get to see her face to face in April uh, after many years of not seeing each other. But we are having a rendezvous in Franklin, Tennessee. That's where she lives. So um, I'm excited to see her. But if we want to leave a legacy of eternal significance... The first thing, we've got to be committed to sharing God's word because it is the word of God that transforms lives. So are you sharing God's word with others? And is there someone that God is prompting you to use his word to gently reprove and rebuke or just exhort so that's the first thing. The second thing is we need to be committed to following sound doctrine. Let's read verses 3 through 4. 
He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. You know, we've talked about this throughout this study about the false teaching. That's what Timothy was dealing with false teachers in the church in Ephesus. And today we deal with false teachers. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, there are many ways where people twist the, God, the word of God. I shared that with you uh, several weeks ago about the pastor of a church, his wife. I mean, sharing things that aren't God's word. They twist it. Uh, we hear the prosperity gospel. You do this, God will bless you. Um, we hear a lot today about God's word isn't relevant today. It's an old book. It's out of date. It's not applicable. And we let culture be our false teacher. And culture, we let culture tell us what's right and what's wrong. There are people today who say this book doesn't, it, what's in here doesn't apply today. Like, yes, God said in Genesis 1 that he made man male and female. Ah, that's old-fashioned. You can be whatever gender you want to be. Or, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. Ah, that's old-fashioned. Today, marriage is what, whoever you want it to be with. No, it's not. This is the doctrine that we follow. This, these words are eternal. And so what God wrote thousands of years ago, what he inspired through these men, it is still true today. And if we are going to leave a legacy of eternal significance, we have got to stay faithful to following the doctrine of God, this book. And when you put this book aside, we're in trouble. And so we, if we're going to make a difference, you know, and again, there, there are things going on in churches today. Um, you know, I've been reading this book about a particular uh, movement going on, but this church was teaching that you can bring people back to life. Just pray, you know. And there was this couple that their daughter died, and this church said, God's going to bring her back to life. You don't need a funeral. And so, and it was all over social media and asking people to pray for the resurrection of this young girl. And a day passed, two days, three days. They kept praying, saying, God's going to resurrect her. Seven days later, they finally said, okay, you can bury her. But it, it devastated this family. They had put their faith in what they were being taught. That's false doctrine. And I hope that we can be careful and, and committed to following sound doctrine. How are you protecting yourself against being swayed by false doctrine? And are there people in your life that can hold you accountable? So we've looked at two essentials that we need to be committed to if we're going to leave a legacy of eternal significance. First, be committed to sharing God's word. And second, be committed to following sound doctrine. And the third, we need to be committed to finishing well. This is in verses 5 to 8, and I'm just going to start with verse 5. He says, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, 
fulfill your ministry. And I'm going to stop there because I want, in this one verse, it is packed with guidance, with instructions for how to finish well. And he really gives him four things, four instructions for how to finish well. He says, be sober in all things. Well, the first thing is be alert. Be on guard against the enemy. And we contrast sobriety with drunkenness. And, you know, when you're drunk with wine, you are not alert. You are in la-la land and totally things could go on that you're not really paying attention to. And he's saying, you cannot live like that. You've got to be alert and awake and on guard. Timothy, be alert. Be sober in all things. Second thing he tells them is be strong in the Lord. He says, endure hardship. We are going to have hardship in life. But the only way that we're going to be able to endure hardship is that we find our strength in the Lord and not ourselves. We do not want hardship to cause us to fizzle out as we are trying in our own strength. So the second instruction, when he says endure hardship, he's saying, you be strong in the Lord. And then third, he says, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, be bold. Because evangelism takes boldness. We need to be sharing the gospel. Even if we don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't have the gift. And I need to be more attentive to opportunities and be bold. And then his fourth instruction is be faithful. He says, fulfill your ministry. Be faithful, Timothy, to do what God put you on this earth to do. Use your gifts, use your abilities to carry out his purpose for you. You know, last semester when we did the Rooted Study, we spent a week on your mission statement and your purpose. And I hope that if you've not written it, I hope you will take some time and write it. Because if we're going to fulfill our ministry, we need to know what that ministry is. We need to know how God has gifted us and how he has designed us. Be faithful to what God has put you on this earth to do. And then in verses 6 to 8, we see Paul's motivation for finishing well. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, Paul was committed to finishing well. He was committed to leaving a legacy of eternal significance, not because he wanted people to brag about him and talk about him at, at his death, but he wanted to honor God and please God. And he knew the end result. He knew that one day he would stand before God. And he would receive this crown of righteousness. We don't know what that crown is. Is it a physical crown? I don't know. Some have said it's when receiving complete righteousness. When we leave this earthly body. 
And we're all of a sudden, we're completely righteous. Maybe that's what the crown of righteousness is. Others have said it's eternal life, gaining eternal life. That's the crown of righteousness. We don't exactly know what it is, but we know that it is for those who have loved his appearing, those who have lived their lives pleasing God. Not perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. But they weren't going to shrink away and go, oh, I hope he doesn't come today because I'm, I'm not doing what I should be doing. But people who are living like, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for you today. We can summarize Paul's life in six words, all from verse 7. His six-word story is fought fight, finished course, kept faith. What a powerful story. But it says it all. Another way we could write it, and as I was thinking through, how would I write his six-word story? Started shaky became steadfast, and finished strong. He left a legacy of eternal significance. And my prayer for us is that we would leave a legacy of eternal significance. And in order to do that, we have to be committed. We need to be committed to sharing God's word. We need to be committed to following sound doctrine. And we need to be committed to finishing well. You know, it's hard to believe that I've only got um, 31 days starting tomorrow left in this job. And as as I'm about to move into this next chapter of my life, um, I don't want to be put on the shelf. I want to continue to live out the ministry that God has given me. And, um, you know, I will keep doing ministry because my ministry is not my job. It is my life, and it will continue after I leave this job. And that should be true for all of us, that, w- that we just want to keep going and doing what God has, has asked us to do with our lives. You know, I want to finish well. I want to finish with you well, but I also want to finish my life well when I take my last breath, and I know you do too. So what kind of legacy will you leave behind when you take that final breath? I want to encourage you to go home. And if you've not written your six-word story, I encourage you to do that. And I'd love to see it. Um, If you could only have six words written on your tombstone, what would they be? Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for Paul. Thank you for the example that he gave us of a man who left a legacy of eternal significance. He's impacting our lives all these years later. And Father, I pray that every one of us would be committed to leaving a legacy of eternal significance, not for ourselves, not so that people will brag about us, but that they would see you through us. Father, keep us faithful. Keep us strong. Keep us faithful to your word. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.